All right, you can open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. We're in a series through the book of Ephesians uh, called One in Christ, and we have been slowly working our way through this first chapter. And, uh, and we were able to wrap up a few weeks ago as Josh Cheeks preached on verses 11 through 14, this amazing section where Paul praises God for all of his blessings in Christ. And, and we saw that he has, he has chosen us, he's adopted us, he's redeemed us, he's revealed his will to us, and he's given us an inheritance and the seal of that inheritance in the Holy Spirit, all to the praise of his glory. And, and so we've just been soaking in this praise and letting our hearts work into praise. And now we're opening a new section of the letter where Paul is going to pray for the Ephesian church. So before we look at verses 15 and 16 this morning, uh, just, just to start things off, uh, you know, I'm not a duck hunter. Um, if you didn't pick, figure that out, I'm working on the beard, but um, don't hunt ducks. So if I wanted to learn to hunt ducks, you know who I would call to teach me? You guys probably know, right? Ryan Howard. It's like, Ryan, teach me to hunt ducks, please. And, uh, and, and he, would, he would hopefully be able to show me his ways. If I wanted to grow a garden, who would I call? Ben and Mary Brown, of course, right? Like, they can grow anything, anywhere. That, that, it's amazing. We, we can't even keep cactuses alive, succulents alive in our house. And so we would, we'd have to look to them for help. If I wanted to bake cookies, learn to bake cookies, I would just talk to my wife. She bakes the best cookies in the world. And, and so I was like, teach me your cookie-baking ways. Well, what if I wanted to learn to intercede? I wanted to learn to, to pray for others. You know, I would, turn, I would turn to the Apostle Paul. Turn to the Apostle Paul because Paul is an, such an example to us in, in the New Testament of intercession. We, we have the privilege in the New Testament of seeing Paul not only say that he's praying for the churches, but, but so many prayers of Paul actually record. We get to see what did he pray for? How did he pray? What, what, what guided his prayers? What, what moved him to pray? And, and, and He's such an example for us. And Paul himself said in one of his letters, to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we can look to Paul and look to his prayers and, and we can see how to intercede. Now, I'm not under any uh, compulsion to learn to hunt ducks or grow a garden or bake cookies. But the thing is that we do all need to learn to intercede. This is not an optional thing for believers. Intercession is part of what it means to follow Christ. It's not optional. And here's how I know this. Besides the fact that we're instructed, pray for each other, here's how I know it's not optional for us. One is that we, we need one another to pray for us. Like, I need your prayers. But, but if I need your prayers and, and you also need everyone else's prayers, then for that to actually happen, what does that mean? It means we need to be praying for each other. If we each need each other's prayers, then obviously we each need to be praying for one another. None of us will be prayed for otherwise. We need prayer. We need to enter into prayer for each other. This is what intercession is, is lifting each other up before the Lord. But the reality is that we struggle to intercede, don't we? Intercession is difficult. Intercession is hard. Intercession does not come easy. And I don't think the New Testament holds back on that either. Peter says in 1 Peter that we need to be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. Which seems to imply that, that if, if we lose that sober-mindedness, then prayer is not going to be something that we naturally do. We need to be sober-minded because, because we need to pray. 
And so we, we, we face this reality that we are called to intercede, we need to intercede, yet we struggle to intercede. And so with all that said, where should we turn? We should turn to the Apostle Paul this morning. Let's figuratively enter into Paul's school of intercession. By God's grace, we'll grow this morning in our own intercession for fellow believers. And I'm excited about this sermon in particular because if we learn intercession this morning, if we, if we grow in praying for one another, interceding for one another, then that is going to bear so much fruit long-term in our lives and in our church because we will, we will begin praying for each other more regularly and we'll begin requesting things of God that, that brings more fruit and more fruit. And, and so it's just this is kind of like the, the sermon that I'm praying will, will launch us forward into a, a life of prayer for each other that sees God answering prayer more and more in our midst. And so we're going to see three lessons this morning on intercession from the Apostle Paul. We're just looking at verses 15 and 16. We're not, we're not even going to get to what he prays for today because these first few verses show us so much about what, what moves Paul to intercession and, what, and what, what, Paul, what Paul's intercessory prayer life looked like. And so let's read verses 15 and 16. Then we're going to see these three lessons on intercession this morning. Verses 15 and 16. For this reason... Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So this morning, the first lesson on intercession that we see is the reason for intercession. What is the reason that Paul intercedes. What is the reason we intercede? And look at verse 15 with me. He says, for this reason. For this reason. And, and, and then there's this, this clause in between, but for, for what reason? For, for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So, so Paul's saying, I, I thank God for you and I pray for you for this reason. What's the reason? He says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So, so Paul's saying, because I've heard that you are believers in Jesus and you love fellow believers, which is the evidence that your faith is genuine, because I've heard of this genuine faith that you have, I pray for you, I intercede for you, I thank God for you, I remember you in my prayers. And so just at, at, a, at a basic level, what's the reason? It's, it's that he's heard of, a, of their faith. He intercedes because he's heard of their genuine faith that's expressed in love. But... When I read that, and then I think about my own life, I know there are times when I hear of someone else's genuine faith, and it does not move me to pray. It does not move me to give thanks. And so I think that we need to press in further here. There's a, there's a more fundamental reason going on than just that he's heard of their faith. And I believe when he says, for this reason, it points backward even more than it points forward. It points backward to where we've been for the last month to this, this long extended prayer of praise to God. Blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because He's blessed us in Christ with, with election and adoption and redemption and revelation and inheritance all to the praise of His glory. For this reason, I give thanks for you. For this reason, I remember you in my prayers. So, so what we need to see is what's the connection between 
this fundamental reason of the glory of God and the praise of God and then him hearing about the genuine faith of these believers? What's the connection? I think Paul is fundamentally driven by adoration of God. Paul in 3 through 14 is he's not even he's not even saying you should praise God. He's just praising God as he writes this letter. He's just saying, Blessed be God. God is worthy to be praised because he's done all these things to the praise of his glory. That's where, that's where Paul is right now as he's as he is writing this. And then he hears of their faith and their love, and he knows that that, that means they have genuine faith. And if they have genuine faith, then he knows that means God has saved them. And if God has saved them, then he knows that was to the praise of God's glory, and that's what Paul is all about, is the glory of God. And and so when he sees a genuine Christian, he he sees God's glory on display in their lives. And and Paul's saying, I praise God for his glory. I love the glory of God. I I want to know the glory of God. And so when I hear that he is saving someone, I hear that he is working in someone, then yes, it drives me to thanksgiving. It drives me to praise him. The reason we intercede for fellow believers, is because we delight in the glory of God displayed through their lives. The reason we intercede for fellow believers is because we delight in the glory of God as he displays it in their salvation, in their sanctification. It's it's seeing God's glory on display in one another. And this drives Paul to thank God, and it drives Paul to remember them. I think we can see this principle played out somewhere else. If you would turn to Luke 15 with me, Luke chapter 15, some of you may know immediately what is in this chapter. We have three parables of things that were lost. We have a lost sheep, we have a lost coin, and we have a lost son. And in each parable, the thing that is lost is found. And we love these stories because they picture for us how we were lost and God found us, especially the prodigal son. We were, we were lost prodigals and God found us, right? But look at the beginning of Luke 15. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them, the Pharisees and the scribes, these parables. And so these parables are not just about lost things being found. and They're not just about lost sinners being saved. They're about how we should respond to that reality. These parables are about how, how we should respond when God saves somebody. And so he talks about the, the lost sheep and, and the, the person who goes and finds it and he calls his friends together and they're rejoicing that the sheep was found. They're not really rejoicing in the sheep, right? They're rejoicing with their friend because they love their friend. And then in verse 7 he says, Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The angels rejoice when a sinner repents. Then he does the same thing with the coin. Someone loses a coin, she finds it, she calls her friends, they throw a party, and he says, just so, I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then with the prodigal son, he's lost, he comes to his senses, he finally comes back, his father runs to him, kisses him, throws a party, and the older brother grumbles and complains and is angry about it. And he says, he says rejoice with me, your brother was lost and he's found. So, so the emphasis in these parables is on the need for our response to someone else being saved to be joy, right? You see that? Now, why do the angels 
rejoice when a sinner repents. They rejoice when a sinner repents because God is showing himself to them. God is showing his glory to them. They're rejoicing, not primarily in the sinner being saved, but they're rejoicing that from heaven they get to behold the glory of God on display as he shows his grace and his love and his, his righteousness in the salvation of a sinner. If you turn back to Ephesians, we can see this in Ephesians itself. In Ephesians chapter 3, look in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Look what Paul says about God's design of the gospel. He says, To me, I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Why? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. When, when, when sinners are saved by the grace of God, God is showing His wisdom. He's showing His plan to, to the angels, and they're, they're looking into it and rejoicing in the glory of God that they're seeing. All this to say, what's the reason that we intercede What is the reason that we're moved to remember one another in prayer? It needs to be fundamentally not just about each other, but about the glory of God. God's glory being put on display in each other's lives. And what this means is that intercession does not start with intercession. Intercession starts with adoration. Intercession begins when we are fixed on the glory of God, delighting in the glory of God, and making the connection that, that that means in every person's life that God is working in, I get to see something of his glory. I get to see something of his grace. I get to see something of his power. And, and I delight in those things. So yes, I'm going to thank God for them. I'm going to pray for them. This is what needs to drive our intercession. Do you struggle to intercede? We need to start Addressing that not by just trying harder to intercede, but by cultivating your adoration of God. Cultivate your adoration of God. And how do we do that? We do it just like Paul does it in verses 3 through 14. We do it by remembering what God has done for us. Remembering his blessings in Christ. Remembering the gospel. It, practically, it means that when you, when you wake up in the morning, you, you let the word lead the way. You, you, you let God's revelation of himself lead the way in your heart. So you get to that point of, of seeing who he is and being drawn to praise him and then letting that praise overflow into intercession for others. You preach the gospel to yourself. You let the word lead the way. You remember how God has blessed you so that you get to that point of saying, Blessed be God who has blessed us for this reason. Thank God for you when I hear about your faith. For this reason, I pray for you when I hear about your love. The reason we intercede, fellow believers, is because we delight in the glory of God displayed through their lives. Adoration is the reason for intercession. Second, the rhythm of intercession. The rhythm of intercession. Paul says, for this reason because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is the constant pattern we find in Paul's intercession for the churches. He thanks God for them, and then he makes requests for them. That's the rhythm, a two-step rhythm of intercession. Thanksgiving, supplication. Thanksgiving, Supplication. That, that's what we see in every letter that Paul writes when he reports his prayers. He thanks God for them, and he prays for them. 
But this is not the pattern that I gravitate toward. I struggle to intercede in general, and then when I do, it's generally because there's something wrong happening in someone's life. And, and so that drives me to pray, and I, and I start making re- requests of God for these people. There, there's, there's problems, there's, there's sin, there's, there's struggle, and so I, I jump to supplication, and I skip thanksgiving. And I believe this is spiritually dangerous for us to do. I'm not quite the exerciser, all right, but I've confirmed this with a few other people, so I'm going to say this. Making requests for others without giving thanks for them is kind of like exercising without stretching. Yeah, what do I mean by that? Well, again, confirm this with others who know what they're talking about, but if you exercise without stretching, there's two problems with that. You're more likely to hurt yourself, first of all, and then secondly, you're not going to be as productive in what you're actually trying to do. You're going to hurt yourself, and you're not going to be as productive in what you're trying to do. And that, that's the same thing when we're making all these requests for other people, but we're not thanking God for them. We're, we're putting ourselves on dangerous ground there when we are just focused on what we're asking God to do for someone and not focused on thanking God for what he's done for someone. And our requests themselves will become out of balance and and not from a place of humility and faith. So, so here, here's the thing. What we're prone to grow frustrated with people when we're just making requests for them all the time. We're, we're prone to become critical of them. We're prone to become self-righteous about how we're not struggling in that way. And we're only focusing on what this person is not. We're only focusing on where they need to grow. We're only focusing on what God needs to do. But here's the thing for believers, for all believers None of us are who we one day will be. All right, we can say that right now. None of us are who we one day will be. One day we'll be like Christ. One day we'll be glorified. None of us are there today. And yet at the same time, none of us, if you're a believer, are who we once were. None of us are who we once were. And giving thanks is an act of remembering who we once were. Giving thanks is an act of remembering what God has done in each other's lives. And what this does is it fosters worship. And it fosters love. And it even fosters confidence in the request we make. Because as we remember, God, you have done this in this person's life. Thank you for that act of grace. And I know that if you began a good work in them, you're going to bring it to completion. And so now I am going to pray this way, knowing that you have already done this by your grace and that you can do it and you will do it. And so giving thanks, it balances us out with our supplication. It it, it gives us humility. It gives us worship. It gives us love for that person. It draws our hearts toward them and not away from them. It helps us to be humble because we also once were sinners that need to be saved by grace. And And then it gives us a framework to begin praying for them rightly, to begin praying for their growth, praying for their sanctification, praying for their struggles in a way that is humble and confident in the Lord. So what do we do with this? If this is the rhythm we need, it means that we need to cultivate our thanksgiving for others, not just our supplications. And if you're like me, this is just a discipline. Just a discipline. It means that you don't just let your mind start praying where you want to start praying, but you pause and you say, no, mind, don't start there. Start with thanksgiving. Take some time to remember God's grace in someone's life. Thank God for the evidences of his grace. Thank God for evidence that they've been saved. Thank God for evidence 
that they are being sanctified. Thank God for the things you are seeing. Remember who they once were. Remember, see who they are now by God's grace. Thank God for those things. Thank God for their faith in Christ. Thank God for their love for other believers. And then pray for them, just like Paul goes on in this passage to pray requests for them to God. But he never starts there. This is the rhythm we need to strike in our intercession if we want healthy intercession for each other. It's not spiritually dangerous to ourselves. We begin with thanksgiving, and then we go to supplication. Thanksgiving, supplication. And so why are we interceding? What's the reason that we intercede? It's because we are, we are delighting in the glory of God and we understand that God is glorifying himself in each other's lives. So we want to be part of that. And then what do we do? What's the rhythm? We thank God first for what he's done by his grace. We praise him for that. We remember that. And then we do begin to make requests for these people. And we'll see the kind of requests that Paul makes. But just even now, let's just look down at the text and get a glimpse of it now. What kind of things does Paul pray for? Look at verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what's the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul's praying that they would know God, they would know his blessings, they would grow in their grasp of these things. So when we do switch to requests, let's just think of what do we actually need to pray for in light of the gospel? What do we actually need to pray for? What are their true greatest needs? Not to ignore other things, but to say, we are gospel community. We're going to pray for each other along those lines. And, and so that's the reason, the rhythm, and then finally the routine for intercession. The routine for intercession. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What did Paul mean by I do not cease to give thanks for you? Was he just always back of his mind, like, Ephesian church, thank you. Colossian church, thank you. Philippian church, thank you. Like, just always, just going back there. No. You know how I know he's not, he wasn't doing that? Because he's, he's a human, like us. He, he, was not, he was not supernatural, and he could not do that. It's not possible, right? Paul, Paul did not mean he just constantly prayed and never stopped praying. I think what he meant is that he routinely and faithfully prayed for them. Routinely and faithfully prayed for them. I mean, how do you think Paul could say to the Romans and to the Corinthians and to the Galatians and to the Ephesians and to the Philippians and to the Colossians and to the Thessalonians and to Timothy and to Titus and to Philemon, I always pray for you. Did he do that every day, do you think? Did he do that every hour? No, no, I think that Paul did this, what he says, in his prayers. In his prayers. And let's not overlook that phrase. You know, in Acts, we get a little picture of what Jewish religious life was like at the time of the apostles. And they would go to the temple for prayers. There were set times of prayer that they would go pray. And that's where Paul grew up. That's where he lived. And even once he stopped going to the temple at some point, I'm sure that he continued to have these set times of prayer. And when those times came, you know what I think? I think Paul had a plan. I think Paul had, had a plan to pray faithfully for these churches. I, I really doubt, knowing how busy Paul was, that he prayed for all these people every single day. But he prayed for them consistently and routinely enough to be able to say, I always pray for you. I don't cease to pray for you. We can't completely reconstruct the picture, but here's what we can say. Paul had set aside times of prayer, and he had a method of praying for fellow believers in those times. That's the example he gives us. Set aside times of prayer and a method for praying. 
Listen to D.A. Carson. He says, the reason we pray so little is that we do not plan to pray. The reason we pray so little is that we do not plan to pray. Wise planning will ensure that we devote ourselves to prayer often, even if for brief periods. It's better to pray often with brevity than rarely but at length. So important to hear that. That's just good wisdom there. It's better to pray often with brevity than rarely at length. No, you might not have two hours every morning to pray through your list, right? But pray every morning for 10 minutes. Pray every evening for five minutes. Pray often with brevity if that's all you can do. But the worst option is simply not to pray. And that will be the controlling pattern unless we plan to pray. What he says. The worst option is not to pray. And that's what's going to happen unless we plan to pray. I think we see this in Paul. I think we, we can see it from how he says to all these churches, I'm always praying for you. And we see it by knowing that he had set aside times of prayer. You know, a few weeks ago we went to... Um, Mexico to see our overseas members there, and and as I were going, I was texting with someone in the church, and and they said, you know, praying for your trip, and, and and he says, tell them when you get there that I pray for them every Wednesday. Now, when I heard this, I did not say, what about Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, Monday and Tuesday? Come on, man. No, I rejoiced that our missionaries are being specifically, routinely prayed for every single week by one of our members who has a plan in place, and Wednesdays, they pray for them. And I think that is probably much more encouraging to them, too, to know every Wednesday they're praying for me. That's that's wonderful. What What if we could say that to each other? I pray for you every Monday. How encouraging would that be to know that someone has a a plan in place to include me in their prayers? It's going to look different for each one of us, but the application here is to cultivate a faithful routine of intercession, not just the desire to intercede. Cultivate a faithful routine of intercession. Don't just cultivate the desire to intercede. Make a plan. I say faithful because we all have some distinctness in who we are and and our responsibility in prayer. So, so for instance, in Acts 6, we see that elders, the apostles, and and I think by extension, as we see the New Testament carried out, elders and deacons have different roles. And elders are called to devote themselves to the word and prayer, which to me says that elders have a responsibility to pray more than just uh, any member of the church, because they're saying, we got to pray instead of do this. So you go do this while we pray in that passage. And and so, so faithful intercession for an elder is going to be different than faithful intercession for a church member. But that doesn't mean that church members aren't called to pray. you got to see where I'm going with that, right? Is that we all have different callings. We are all called to pray. And we need to be faithful with our calling. Faithfulness looks different, but it, but we're all called to it. And, and so to do this, we need a routine. We need to understand our calling, and we need a routine. So, so how else will you pray regularly and meaningfully for your spouses, your children, your church members, your missionaries, your neighbors? I mean, to start making the list. Right? How, how are you going to pray for those people who, who, at some level, every one of us is called to pray for every one of those people in our lives? It's our calling. That's, that's obedience. You cannot pray for all of those every day in a meaningful way. But you must intercede for them. You must pray for them. And and this means you must have some sort of disciplined approach that works for you. You must. 
Now, some people have different personalities, and it's going to be harder or easier, but, but, you, but we must have a plan. Uh, I'm just going to give, give us just, these, these are applications, it's really just ideas to get your brains turning, because we're all different, okay? But, but well, I've heard John Piper talk about thinking in spheres of responsibility and concentric circles. So, so those that he's most responsible to pray for are the inner circle, and then you know, out from there to another circle that, that he prays for less regularly, but still, and then a, a final circle of those that he prays for. And he says he just works his way out every day. Uh, now, I've taken that plan myself, and I've, I've made three lists for myself. I like lists, and so I've done daily prayer requests, weekly prayer requests, monthly prayer requests, and, and I'll write the date next to the, the person I pray for, when I pray, so I can kind of keep track. When did I last pray for that person? I'm OCD, and so I start getting off track, and, and, and then I throw it all out and start again. But you, you, you could pray for one church member and one missionary each day in your family worship times. Right, like just, 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 just open your directory on your phone and and just say, who, what member are we on today? Let's pray for them, and and make a list of our missionaries. Let's pray for this missionary today. If you did that, you would you would pray for the whole church in a month, once a month. The point is, make a plan that works for you. Set aside a time, set aside a place, and decide on your approach. But have an approach. Make a plan. I think we can say from what we see in Paul as an example for us that this is biblical to have a plan to pray. And that if we don't plan to pray, our intercession will suffer for it. A final encouragement on this, though, and this, this point of application is don't be discouraged when you get off your plan. Don't be like me on that. There's a glorious truth we can remember about this, and that is that is that God is not looking down, waiting for us to get our intercessory lives perfectly in order. Christ himself intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us constantly. So our intercession is carried along by Christ's intercession. Our intercession is carried along by the Spirit's intercession. We can remember when we struggle, Christ, you're interceding for me right now. You, you, you are praying for me. You, you, you are keeping me through your prayers and just continue to keep going and keep working on it, knowing that we'll never perfect it. But Jesus is carrying us along. So just rest in that. Pray for the fruit of self-discipline and then just keep working toward faithfulness in prayer. This is a very practical sermon in some ways. Uh, I'm praying that it will be fruitful in our lives, if we forget the reason, then, then this last point about the routine, just throw it out the window. doesn't matter. We're not going to do this if we forget the reason. If we're not driven by adoration, driven by the glory of God. And let's not forget the rhythm that we should come to these times in, to thank God for these people and then to lift them up before him with requests. And then finally, again, we're going to look at this more closely last week, but I want to point you to verse 17. I think the most appropriate way to conclude this sermon is by remembering who we're praying to. Who's on the, on the other end of these prayers? Who's receiving these prayers? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. This is the one that we're praying to. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of our Savior, the God of the one who came from heaven, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, prayed for us the night he was crucified, 
died for our sins, rose again, ascended into heavens, interceding for us now, one day we'll come back. This Father, this God, is the one we're praying to. And He is the Father of glory. He's the Father of glory, church. He, he, he is our Heavenly Father, but He's a glorious Heavenly Father. He's a transcendent Heavenly Father. He is our Father in heaven, right? And, and, and in intercession, He is calling us to communion with Himself. He's calling us to participation with Himself in His work. He's inviting us into what He's doing in each other's lives for His glory. And so let's be drawn right now to who He is, not just to what we want to try to do, but to who God is, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, who has made us His children as we saw in 3-14, through 14, let's fix our eyes on him today and let's commit ourselves to growing not just an intercession, but an adoration of this God. And may he work his fruit in us. Let's pray. Father, we come and thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, how um, penetrating it is and also how practical it is, Lord. We, we ask that you would help us to apply these truths to our lives, help us to follow uh, this example of the Apostle Paul, help us to, to learn to intercede for each other. Lord, I thank you for the faith and love of those in this room. Lord, there's nothing I can think better encompasses faith in you and love for each other than praying for each other, looking to you on, each other, on one another's behalf. And, and so, Lord, we, we do lift each other up right now. We pray that you would help us and keep us and strengthen us and encourage us and work in us to make us more like Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.